What is going on, everyone? Welcome to A Theology of Hustle. I'm your host, Curry Blanford, and today I'm talking to Sandra. Uh, This is a great episode. Uh, Sandra has such amazing stuff to talk about. Um, So, first of all, she is a a medical doctor and an internist, and we talk all about sort of what that means, and, and she has this awesome story of sort of uh, integrating her faith into her work uh, over time and sort of has this aha moment about how to to integrate her faith into her practice. And so she talks a lot about that, what that looks like. And I think that's a really, uh, that's a really great conversation for any of us looking to bring uh, the kingdom into, into our work. But uh, Sandra also has some amazing stuff about rest and I think this is just such a much-needed topic for us. We we don't rest well as a as a culture, sort of in general. And uh, there are seven different types of rest, if you didn't know it. And so so we go through those. Uh, I think maybe you'll find some conviction in this episode just about your own rest life and uh, the places maybe where you you aren't resting enough and uh, ways that you could be better. And so, yeah, I can't wait for you to hear uh, that part of the episode. Uh, she's awesome. This is a great episode. So I can't wait for you to hear it. Uh, just a reminder, uh, make sure you are following me on Instagram and Facebook at Theology of Hustle and on Twitter at Curry Blanford, uh, just to make sure you're staying up to date with everything going on with Theology of Hustle. And uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy hearing from Sandra. Uh, Sandra, I can't say thanks enough for making time for me. I know you got a lot going on and I appreciate you making time. Oh, happy to do it. Looking forward to it. Yeah, that's awesome. So let's just uh, get started here by having you introduce yourself to everyone. Sure. I'm an internal medicine physician. I've been in practice now for 20 years, um, practicing out of the Birmingham, Alabama area. Two kids, both teenagers, married for 19 years really just enjoying the journey of seeing what medicine can look like um, after this long practice. Yeah, right. That's a, I mean, that's a heck of a practice. Yeah, you're, you're, you're there. Uh, so let's walk down the story road, though, with you and, and getting into medicine. How did all that sort of come about? Well, I, went, I think my whole fixation on medicine probably started just with my my history as uh, as a child growing up without a mother. My mother died in childbirth, so you know my my military father went into the hospital um, expecting to leave with his wife and his newborn, and he but just left with the newborn. And so I, I think as a child growing up, I always had this fixation about life and death because it was yeah. such a part of my everyday. And so yeah. once I really kind of understood what a doctor does and how they intersect with the whole um, life and death and healing. I think I just really, it was a no brainer for me. I I got fixated on biology and health and just everything that had to do with medicine. I really didn't think of any other career I wanted to do. Wow. Uh, If I could pause right there for a sec, and this is a huge question and if you don't feel comfortable or whatever, but how did, I mean, your mom and uh, you know, dying in childbirth, how has that sort of like played itself out in your, your, your life. It's been interesting because in you know medical school, I'm an internist, so I don't have to deliver babies as part of my career for the past sure. 20 years. But you know, in medical school and residency, you're required to do so many yeah, live yeah. childbirths. And so just that whole thought process of kind of the questions, what happened and hmm. you know, why my mom? And you know, I'm seeing all of these 
birthings from traumatic, you know, just very difficult ones to ones where, I mean, honestly, the woman probably didn't need a doctor or nurse or anybody in that room. She could have done it all by herself. Sure. And so it, it was interesting. And then as a mom, when I became pregnant and was about to have birth, gave birth to my first child, you know, that was even traumatic to some degree because just the thought process of, you know, they don't know what happened. Nobody knows what happened. Gosh, that's yeah. Wow. Uh, that's a, that's incredible. Um, okay. So why internal medicine then? Well, that wasn't my first choice. (laughs) My first choice is pediatrics. So Uh, when I went to medical school, my thought process was I wanted to be a pediatrician. And then I, I spent, um, the two rotations in medical school and pediatrics and quickly realized that I did not have the patience for the screaming and the running away from you. (laughs) All that went on. There's a very special grace that's required for that. And I didn't have it, whatever that was. And so internal medicine, really, it allowed me to be able to, first of all, work with adults, which was important by that point. And I didn't have to choose. I could actually do whatever in the medical field that I wanted to do, whether it's go to the ICU or be in the ER, I could follow my patients from, you know, in the office where we're talking about the grandkids to literally in the ICU where we're pumping on their chest. It, it just gave me so much freedom to be involved in all of their care from the, the simple things to, you know, colds to when they get diagnosed with cancer. And, and I love that being able to follow my patients. Yeah, that's cool. So I guess that begs the question of what does an internist do? Like, how do you like define that? Because I am, uh, I don't, yeah, I don't know about that. Well, medicine, well, internal medicine basically is similar to a pediatrician, but we only do adults. So Uh, pediatrics goes up to the age of 18. Okay. Internal medicine is from 18 to whenever till death. Uh, So it's, there's no age limit to that. And then what it's basically stating is that you're focusing on the total person. So when someone comes to me as their internist, I'm not their cardiologist. I'm not just looking at their heart, but I will discuss their heart. I'm not just looking at their diabetes. I'm kind of looking at the big picture. You know, now in medicine, there's a lot of people have their specialist. So they'll have a cardiologist and they'll have a kidney specialist, (laughs) diabetic (laughs) specialist. And what we find is that a lot of times people will be on like multiple overlapping medicines that are actually causing more harm than actually doing good. And uh, my main role I see is actually kind of being the gatekeeper, making sure all of these things are working together for someone's good and not actually to their detriment. So there's a lot of time spent with educating patients on, um, you know, keeping all of their doctors aware of what other doctors are giving them, looking over their medicines with them, doing the lab work. You know, a lot of times specialists won't do the blood work because they assume your primary care doctor, which is what an internist uh, is classified under, um, is doing it. Um, So it's really just kind of looking at the whole patient and making sure that everyone's kind of working within, um, working really towards health and not causing harm. Yeah. I mean, that seems like a 
pretty big deal, right? I mean, because as you do like move into specialization, it just gets harder and harder. Like, how could a cardiologist possibly know what's going on with the the kidney? Yeah, I mean, it's just it yeah, gets exactly. And you don't yeah. want them to. You want them to super specialize into yeah. their area so that they can stay on top of the latest techniques and all of these things, but you also don't want them to give you something that's going to kill your kidney <laughs> because then you've got a new problem you've got to deal with. So, so there's a balancing act. And, and honestly, that's where primary care comes in, whether it's internal medicine. Family medicine is someone who actually sees both adults and kids. It's like a yeah, combination sure. of medicine, internal medicine and pediatrics. Yeah. Um, and then pediatrics is the same process, looking at kind of the big picture, but specifically related to babies, infants, teens on out. So in all of this, like being an internist and all of this, you've sort of landed in this uh, like general sort of practice uh, mm -hmm. role uh, now. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And with internal medicine, you are, you do have the freedom to do, like I said, ER and ICU care. Um, you can specialize in, in ER, you can specialize in critical care, which is one of the subspecialties of internal medicine. But a lot of uh, internists still see their patients in the hospital. Hospitalists are types of internists. And so I just really love the freedom of it because it, it didn't box me into any one thing. Sure, I could kind of yeah. do, you do whatever I wanted to do within yeah. that field. Yeah, that's interesting. So um, maybe if I could back up for a second, where did Christianity sort of come into your world? Oh, wow. You? that It didn't for a very long time. I really feel like medicine and faith for me were like on two different tracks. And for a very long time, it, they were diverging tracks going in completely opposite directions. Huh. I actually remember having uh, one of my instructors in medical school is actually a visiting instructor. It wasn't even one of our main teachers make this statement about you don't share your faith in medicine. And I was like, you know, and my personality is that I like to question things like that. I'm the troublemaker usually. So I like to like, okay, well, so what's going to happen if I do, sh you know, share? And I can remember him just getting so irate. Hmm. And he was like, well, it's, it's like you're, um, you're, you're pushing your faith on the patient. Like you're taking advantage of the situation. They're already vulnerable and you're pushing your faith on the patient. And so I took that to heart. I mean, when he said that, I thought, well, you know, I don't, I, I don't want to push my faith on anyone. I want to invite them in sure. if it's something that they're receptive to. And so for a long time, I was a Christian. I, you know, I, I had a really deep, what I felt relationship with God, but my relationship with God and my day-to-day -day work, they didn't cross paths because I couldn't see how they could, they could in any way work together in a healthy way based on what he had said to me. And so it was many years before that, mm. that I really got to the point where I saw the, how, how skewed that mindset was. And it really occurred one day when I was sitting down with a patient in my practice, this woman had walked in and she was giving me her list of complaints. So, you know, as a physician, you don't want anyone to come in with a list. You've got sure. 15 minutes. A list is like, oh, wow. So she had this list of complaints. And I remember sitting there talking with her. And the whole time she's talking, I'm thinking, okay, what pill am I going to give for this? Because nothing's going to help this. What she needs is, is a, she needs to get a hold of, of just really who she is. And all of this stuff that's in her head is just pulling her in the wrong directions. And so I thought to myself, okay, well, let me just say whatever I got to say to get out of this room because I can't help her 
because I can't share anything that's really going to help her. And I remember walking out of that room and I sat down and I really just felt like, like God's spirit just said to me, are you going to really leave her the way you left her? Mm -hmm. And I've never had such, such a conviction hit me. (laughs) Like, I don't want to leave her the way she is right now, because I know that given the opportunity that there's a lot of things that I could say that would, that would help her. And so I walked back in that room and it was the first time I'd ever even broached the subject of faith with a patient. And I remember writing down on a prescription pad and I told her, you know, I know this is completely unconventional <laughs> and she's a lawyer on top of it. So it was like, I'm sitting here thinking like, if you're going to get a test, can you, can you make it an easy test? Like, right. Easy faith test. Not like the attorney. That's yeah. In. Right. Right. We want the easy ones. Yeah. Right. I get so I'm it. like, I get Oh, it. I'm like, I know this is unconventional, but, if you're willing to, you know, if you're willing to have this discussion, these are some things I think that would really help you. And so she looked at it and she just burst out crying. Wow. And I knew then that, I mean, literally it was like I was on holy ground. I had stepped into something I had no hmm. frame of reference for. I had no book or manual to tell me what to do. <laughs> you yeah. know, there, there wasn't any correct response to that. And so I just had to to be led is the only word I can say with that. I just had to be led with what felt right in the moment. Wow. So, I mean, how did she respond? I mean, did she, you obviously didn't get, you know, it was, it was amazing. That particular family was a very, um, I saw, I live in a small town. And so as in most small towns, I guess when I'm the doctor for one person in a family, I end up being the doctor for everybody in that family. Yeah. And so um, it was one of those situations where this particular patient had some other family members, really her parents, um, her mom had gotten extremely ill and to death. I mean, she, we were literally, I was not her mom's doctor, was called in by the family with, can you please see her? We want you to be the doctor and all of this. And so I recall being in the situation where I'm around this family where nobody is like very open about their faith and about just showing their emotions and all of that. And this was like at her mom's last moments. And we had already built a relationship and had already Mm -hmm. kind of walked through some of her faith struggles, but no one else in her family had really even broached the subject. And I remember standing in that room with that family and their dad was just bawling. Mm -hmm. I mean, just bawling. But he was one of those really stoic type men who don't show emotion. And you could see that the entire family was just, just stumped. It's like they didn't know what to do. And I, I barely knew this man. For whatever reason, I knew the right thing to do was to was to hug him. <laughs> and so I, I walked up to him and he literally just fell into my arms. And it was it was one of the very first times that I could see how just the love and grace of God doesn't always require words. It doesn't require a script. It, it, it doesn't really make logical sense all, all the time. Hmm. You know, it's, it's yeah. really about people and just learning how to love people well, selflessly w- without yeah. your ego and your, you know, your preconceived thoughts of what things are supposed hmm. to look like, but just being open to loving people well. And that, that changed everything with my medical practice wow. <laughs> because then you know, instead of trying to get 10 minute appointments, I said, you know what? I want every appointment to be 20 minutes. Nobody does that anymore. Mm. And to me, 20 minutes wasn't even a long time, but it was double what every other doctor in our city is doing. 
And I mean, my practice got to the point where I literally had to tell people, I can't, I can't see anymore. (laughs) I've got all the patients I can see, but it's, it's just, it's people are that hungry, Hmm. you know, that hungry just to know that somebody really cares that it's not just about checking another name off their list, you know, or seeing another person for another dollar. Um, And so really that's my hope for medicine is that, you know, eventually it'll start moving more towards. Amen. I would. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Uh, that's awesome. And I love that story because it's not just like, uh, a one-off thing, right? Like, uh, God had like a long-term investment. Uh, and so like, uh, you following him in that moment led to like other moments. It wasn't just like one and done, you know? Oh no, it was. And even with that one family, just seeing how he, he kind of set all of that up. I would have never been in that Mm. situation had I not had the conversation with her she kind of pulled me into her, her family yeah. situation. And then and that family had so much pain that they had not worked through mm-hmm. just within themselves that it's almost like they needed a mediator. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's weird because we're talking about someone who that's what they do is their careers, mediate things. Yeah. But it's like their family needed a mediator. And, you know, it wasn't a role, like I said, that I felt qualified necessarily to do. Yeah. But it, I didn't have to be qualified. God's qualified. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> The spirit, right? I mean, it's yeah. like, yeah, I have the Holy Spirit living inside of me. Therefore, you know, I can. Yeah, that's good. Absolutely. It, it, it's interesting to me that you're an internist, which means that you're sort of holistic in your practice, right? I mean, you like a lot, lots of parts of the body, right? Mm-hmm. You come from a different perspective. Uh, but at the same time, like not having that uh, spiritual aspect of it misses out on a like. It, it lacks holistic unless you have that that aspect of of the person. Right. So true. Yes. Because I mean, when you that's a lot of the studying that I've been doing probably in the past 10 years is just that whole mind, body, spirit approach to medicine. And that, you know, we we think that the spirit is the one that's like optional. Right. But, you know, most of the research that I've been looking at and there's so many different studies, I don't have none of them pop to mind right this moment, <laughs> but there's so many different studies that are out there that talks about how the spirit of the man really is the part of us that is the most powerful. Mm, and yeah. yet when we talk about healing and we talk about wholeness, it's the one that we write off like, Oh, well, if you feel like it, then you can <laughs> deal with right, the spiritual right. aspect. And that that's why so many, so many um, types of illnesses. And so, um, and I'm not just talking about physical illnesses, but, the emotional, the mental, why so many of them are so difficult for us to actually heal right? because we're only trying to heal the parts we feel comfortable dealing with. Right. Right. There's not necessarily a pill for everything. Right. I mean, exactly. No. (laughs) So it begs the question then for me, how would now you go back and uh, respond to that visiting professor with your current experience? Yeah, that would not be pretty. (laughs) <laughs> I would have to figure out how to do how, how to do um, what I call care frontation. <laughs> so confront in a, in a very nice, um, pleasant way <laughs> in some degree. But and it's strange. I don't even recall who that professor was. Sure, I sure. really I really would like an opportunity to sit down with him again. It is so many years ago. But but honestly, the conversation would base, basically be that. We're, you're missing an entire opportunity to heal yeah. one third of every person you treat. You know, not a single person who leaves your care can leave whole. Yeah. 
yeah. if you refuse to address that part of them. Yeah, that's good. That's really good stuff. Uh, and something I think probably doctors need to hear, you know what I mean? Because I think there is some trepidation around bringing that aspect into your practice for some people, you know, what, it, what are people going to think about me? And, you know, uh, yeah, I think that's, well, that's, that's one possible. of the things that I teach That's That's a, been a huge part of my speaking lately has been, um, I've probably spoken to over 16,000 physicians at this point now, wow. um, talking about that, about how mm -hmm. to share your faith, because, um, really when we look at it, I think the big part is people don't want to feel like that they are pushing themselves on patients. And so the way I broach it in my office is I start off with just putting things in the office to make the patient aware of where I stand. Sure. You sure. know, and it doesn't mean you have to agree. I mean, my patients run the gamut from, you know, Buddhists to Muslims to, you know, atheists. I, I see them all. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. that, I, mean, I don't have a, I don't have anything that says you can't come if right. you don't agree with me. You know, I see them all but they all know who I am and what I, and what I believe. Um, and what I put in the office, oftentimes I use the little daily bread um, yeah. booklets. Yeah. And so they're all over my office. You can't walk in a room without them being in the office. Uh -huh. And oftentimes I'll walk in and I'll see someone reading it. And so when I see someone sitting there reading through it, then I already know you have, you're at least open to something because sure. you wouldn't yeah. be pick up. I mean, I also have, you know, O magazine and people and everything else in there. <laughs> right. So there are lots of options. You don't have to sit there and read that. Yeah. So when I see someone reading it, to me, I consider that an invitation. My prayer is always, God, show me the people who are who are open to who are open to receive everything you have for them. Yeah. And that's not everybody. Yeah. But there are some people who are open to receive everything He has for them, and yeah. that could include me praying at the end of their appointment with them. That could include me, you know, just discussing something that is not even medical, but they don't have anybody else to talk to. Right. So they need somebody who can just be a sounding board and just kind of listen and let them vent for a minute. So just being open to whatever that looks like for someone. Yeah. And it may depend on the season too, right? Like you may have mm -hmm. seen this person for months or whatever, or years. And uh, one day they're just like, God ha has them ready. Right. And yeah, uh, that's so yeah. true. Yeah, that's good. I love that. Well, I think that's a great segue into your other gig, I guess, right? So, Which is like this whole speaking and writing thing that you do. Can you talk a little bit just about like where all that came from? I wish I could say where it came from. It, it kind of just occurred. Just it seems out. like, well, I can't say the writing just occurred. There's a whole process that goes to writing a book. The, the writing started right after that particular patient. Um, because after I spoke with her and really kind of got this mindset and did the whole 20 minute appointment thing, I really had this mindset of, I don't have enough time, even with 20 minutes to give people everything I want to give them. Sure, and sure. so I started just doing like little handouts and pamphlets and just little quick things I could, you know, put together myself with my yeah. staff in the office. And then they got bigger and bigger and bigger. So mm -hmm. it's like, okay, we might need to look at some way of managing this. We're killing trees right and left. So that's when I started thinking, well, maybe I should write a book. And so I put together the proposal and, you know, went through all the process with that um, and somebody wanted to publish it. So after that first book was published, I didn't really realize that they expect you to speak if you write. I, I mean, I'm an introvert, but, you know, naturally. Sure. So I had no intentions of speaking. I wanted to write and then go to work. And, you know, <laughs> that yeah. was the process. 
But the very first book, the publisher, you know, sent this email that said, oh, there's this conference up in New York and we volunteered you to go speak at it. And this is the date. And can you go? And, I, you know, it was a Saturday. So, yes, I could go. I wasn't working, but yeah. I wasn't a speaker either. And it was an 800 people at conference. Ooh, yeah, oh, I've no never joke. been on a state. <laughs> oh, you know what I mean? <laughs> so it wasn't like I was knew what I was doing was ready or anything else. Hmm. Um, I mean, I've talked to plenty of doctors and medical students, but that's a whole different game than, sure, you know, sure. going to a women's conference. Yeah. And so, um, so yeah, so I went to the first one and it turned out well and off from there we went. <laughs> so. yeah. Wow. That's cool. Uh, I love that. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I think maybe you see people who are, you know, living out that sort of thing and and uh, like sort of in the public eye, I guess, mm -hmm. and just assume that that was like the intent. And I think for most people that I talked to, it was like, like your story, just sort of stumbling upon it. Like God, God just has this thing for me and it came out of nowhere. right? So, yeah. And that's yeah. not just, and it hasn't just been with, you know, churches. Hmm. I mean, I still speak at quite a few churches, but but honestly, I, the doors got open so, so far exceeds anything we could ever ask or imagine. Um, you know, I remember this time last year, I was on a fishing trip with my in-laws. I mean, we were on a boat in the middle of nowhere, South Carolina, trying to find fish. And I just, I was so bored because I really don't know anything about fish. I was so bored. I started looking at my email on my phone. And had an and had an email from the Atlanta TEDx committee asking if I would come be their opening speaker. Wow! And now that's nothing I would have ever. I, I'm a Christian author. Yeah. I would have never approached them about speak. You know, speaking. Yeah. They don't yeah. do. They don't do Christian topics. Yeah. So that's not that's not an avenue I would have went after. But yeah. but it's a door God opened. So it's always amazing to me how he can open doors you you think are shut. Yeah. Well, it's cool. Cause you have that. I mean, you do have like legitimacy, right? I mean, you're a doctor, right? I feel like, uh, that helps a ton, right? You have the credentials. I think that definitely helped. Yeah. yeah I mean, you, <laughs> I you, think that you, definitely yeah. helped. Yeah. And the topic was about rest, which is what my, yeah. my recent research and book is about. So it's been about rest. And so their whole theme was on, it's was called control alt delete about resetting your life and kind of the whole rest concept. Yeah. And so they Googled me so, and they, they Googled that's rest they, and my name popped that's up. Amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. I got a chance to, I did check out that, that the YouTube of that Ted talk and oh. I really, yeah, it was great. I enjoyed it. Uh, oh, a lot. Don't you think that, I mean, I guess from your perspective is rest becoming this new sort of like burgeoning, topic like in not only in christian circles but just in the world at large oh yeah the world's burned out i mean mm. seriously burned out and they don't have any idea of how to recover mm. um and for most people you know when i talk the thing that i find that most people are most captivated by with the topic that i share is about the concept of there being more than one type of rest right. because i think most people have tried rest you know they laid on sure. the couch and watched Netflix and they're like, I'm still tired. You know, that didn't work. <laughs> right, so, right. you know, rest doesn't work for me. And, and then, I mean, the, the problem with that is, is 
if it does, if rest doesn't work, then, then what, how is there any hope right. <laughs> that, that you're ever going to get off that hamster wheel and that you're ever going to have to stop grinding, yeah. you know, and uh, hustling. Yeah. And so, you know, I think that's why so many people, when they see that maybe it's not me, maybe it's the type of rest that I was getting that was wrong. I'm not broken. The rest that I was getting was not the yeah. right type. I think it gives them hope is mm-hmm. what happens. And so I think that's really where the, you know, because this book, you know, I hate to say it, I don't feel like the writing's any better than the first two books I wrote, but, you know, it's sold five times as much as the sure. first two books. Yeah. And so it's, I think it's just the concept is something that whether people believe in my faith or not, they can, the whole concept has them opening up their mind to the possibilities. Yeah. Well, if you don't mind, I would love to just uh, talk about rest and like, you know, do you, if you don't mind going over sort of the seven types of rest and I I think it's a fat, it's a great topic, especially for this podcast, all about the hustle, right? Like, because there is like, if, if you, if you hustle so hard and never stop, then your hustle's like worthless, you know? Right. Yeah, it's just, that's yeah. so true. Yeah. And, I, and that's, that was my life really before I, this whole concept of rest really sunk in and became a reality. Okay. So before we talk about rest, then can you tell your story of, of burnout and sort of what led you to this? Yeah. The first, well, I would told you about the first book was kind of out of nowhere. And sure. then the speaking, you know, that started opening up, well, after those first couple of books, all of a sudden I found myself being on magazines and doing TV and doing all of this stuff. And so, you know, on the outside, my life looked extremely successful. But in that time when it looked so good, it felt so bad. Mm. I was so overwhelmed. I felt like I didn't have time for anybody, myself, my husband, my kids. And I remember one day coming home from picking up my kids at daycare and, you know, I set them in front of the, I was so exhausted. I was like, let me just put them in front of the TV. I just needed them to stay occupied and not like get hurt. Or, right. or yeah. And so I got them all set. And I remember just going and laying out hmm. in the foyer at my home on the floor. And I laid out on that floor and I was like, God, if this is all there is, you know, I've been working so hard to get to this level of success. Yeah. And now I'm sitting in what everybody says is successful. And this doesn't feel like anything I've ever wanted. (laughs) And like, if this is it, I don't even want to be here anymore. And the thing was, I wasn't like suicidal with a plan. I was just at the end of myself. There was, I was not happy. Hmm. I was not happy and I couldn't see a way out. And when I was laying on that floor, it was like the very first time I felt like I had stopped. Hmm. I had been going and going and, and, you know, burning the candle at both ends for so long that I had forgotten how to stop. And so sitting there, it was like, okay. So then I started feeling this kind of release just in the stopping. And so it was a whole kind of recalibration of, I can't really appreciate all this stuff I'm accomplishing until I stop long enough for goodness and mercy to even catch up with me. (laughs) It's like, I'm running so fast. If they're following me, they're not going to catch me because I'm gone. So I need to like stop long enough to even know what it feels like to experience his goodness and to have, you know, his mercy and and grace in my life. And so that just opened up this whole new thought process of, you know, where am I, where, why am I running? That was one Mm -hmm. of the first questions. What am I trying to prove? Because there was a lot of people pleasing. There was a lot of insecurities and different things I really needed to deal with that I hadn't dealt with. 
And so I, I needed those things to be dealt with. And then I needed to learn really where I was pouring out because I didn't know. I didn't, you know, it, it had never occurred to me before that time that, you know, when I'm sitting there and I'm thinking about how to approach a topic with a patient, that I'm using creative energy to yeah. do that. I have to creatively think how to best approach this with this person, mm. not that person, which I may have to do it a different way. Yeah. You know, that there, there's the whole process is innovative, mm. you know, every time I sit down with a patient. And so it never dawned on me that I need to be poured back into creatively yeah. because I was like, I'm not an artist, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I write, but I write about things that are kind of concrete. Sure, I, you know, sure. I'm not writing like fiction. Yeah. So I'm writing things that are real things. So it never really hit me that I need creative rest. I didn't even know that was a thing. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm researching and I'm like, why is it I feel so good when I'm at the beach? Or why is it that certain artwork or music, when I hear it, I just, I feel different. Right. And it's not something I can like, I can explain. I just know how I feel. And then when I started doing the research, you know, it start, I started seeing studies about MRIs that change when people, certain people look at water because they are restored in that, you know, creatively yeah. when they're looking at these nature scenes and bodies of water. And so I'm, I'm a research nerd. So when I, when I get awesome research like that, I'm like, yes. So, <laughs> then I'm like down a rabbit hole for like two days, like researching it. And, um, and honestly, the weird thing is that actually gives me energy sure, yeah, and restores yeah, me yeah, because yeah. It, it kind of feeds me in a way that I don't get just doing my regular job. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I love it. I love it. Cause I think there's probably people, and I, I would put myself in this category that have been burned out or are cu currently burned out and just literally have no idea that that's the case. Right. Oh yeah. 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 I think that's, that's, that's common, very common that people because it becomes the norm, you know, burnout has become the norm in our yeah, culture. Right. Most people are functioning on a level of chronic burnout. And so that's why when I, you know, one of the things that I tend to tell, have my patients do is I have them actually do a personal rest assessment. Oh, really? Because most of them have no idea whether or not they're burned out or not. I, yeah. I ask them, you know, do you feel like you're burned out? They're like, no, I'm good. You know, yeah. I go to work every day. I get up at seven. I do that. <laughs> you know, everything's functioning. So they think that they're not burned out. But then when we do the rest assessment, they find out that they have a, you know, 35, let's say, in sensory rest. Yeah. Well, they've never even thought about the fact that they're working around bright lights all day, that there's background noise from, you know, the people who are in the cubicles, cubicles and things with them. Yeah. You know, um, if they're a stay at home parent, they're not thinking about the high pitched screams of their, you know, four year olds. Oh, man. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. And they're not realizing yeah. that all of that in sensory inputs actually building up a level of toxicity that unless you're purposeful about getting some quiet time and some darkness and some of those just very simple things that we don't think about, that you can stay chronically sensory overloaded yeah. and not understand why you're snapping at everybody that walks through the door, mm. why you're, why you're, you're intent, why you're so tense all the yeah. time. Cause you're not associating those two things as being a part of a, the same process. Yeah, that's good. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, I haven't gotten to talk to anybody about this yet, but I've been thinking a lot about rest. So my wife and I, our, our family has started uh, weekly Sabbath. So we do 24 hour Sabbath, uh, practices. Uh, and, um, 
I, and we did a sermon series. I just preached through a sermon series on the Sabbath at church. And I feel like we're so weird about rest because like we'll make jokes like during the during the series, we, we would make jokes like, oh, uh, oh, I would love if we only rested six days a week and only had to work one. Like, that would be amazing. And everybody's like, ah, I'm like, you don't rest for the one day that you have off. What makes you think you would rest for six of them? Right. It's like we are so backwards and like find such identity in our work, uh, or our productivity, even not necessarily even work or efficiency or, you know, this American ideal that like, we just like, we're so, we're so backwards. Um, yeah. So I appreciate the rest conversation very much. Uh, I think it's, I think it's important. It's one we, we have to be, we have to be having, you know, or else we're just going to all burn out and like be worthless. So, um, yeah. And I think that's a great point with Sabbath because, you know, that's, that's a topic I hear a lot of churches say when I talk about rest, they're like, well, what are your, what are your thoughts on the Sabbath? I think the Sabbath's an awesome concept, but I think most people that would be like, I can't swim and I'm going to jump on the deep in the deep end. Sure. Right. Yeah. It's like, they don't even know how to take an hour off. And so to tell them to take a day, it's like, "Ah." so I, I tell to tell people, um, whenever I, cause I think the Sabbath is an important concept. I think that's what everyone should work towards. Sure. Um, but I tell most people when I, you know, who get a little bit like, I don't know if I can do that to just start where they're at. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, can you take an hour that you are focusing on your relationship with God, that you're just kind of being still, right. um, you know, one of my favorite scriptures talks about in returning and rest, you shall be saved and quietness and trust shall be your strength. Mm-hmm. And it com- concludes with, but you would have none of it. <laughs> Yeah. And I thought that's, that was exactly where I was at. Yeah. I, I refused to rest. And at no point did it ever occur to me in my spiritual walk that my refusal to rest was also a lack of trust. Yeah. Because mm. to rest, I had to trust that everything was still going to be upheld even yeah. when I stopped. Yeah. And yeah. so it, it was it, it was hard. It was humbling yeah. to start thinking that, that, you know, I say I trust God but my actions aren't lining up with what I say. Mm. And really that to me is what Sabbath is. Yeah. It's just a, a getting to that place of really deep trust where you're able to say, I can take an entire day and completely turn it over to God and, and know that everything's going to be okay. Yeah. I, I think the best example of that is Chick-fil-A. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the totally. best example totally. of that. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't make sense for a business to take a day off. No. I mean, it's 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 actually one of the worst business <laughs> concepts you could ever think of. Right. Yeah. That the day everybody doesn't want to cook, yeah, that <laughs> you're closed. Yeah, and they are one of the most successful businesses there is. Right. Yeah, it's like the the Sunday's like the the day I really want Chick Fil A, you know, and it's like. <laughs> Yeah. And to be fair with Sabbath, we started with like four hour increments. I mean, we did that for a oh, long awesome. time, uh, but it's, it's so annoying to get to the end of a Sabbath and like turn on your phone again and check social media or your text. I'm like, nobody, nobody cared that you were gone. You know, it's like, I should have way more texts and emails than this, right? Like, <laughs> I'm way more important than that, you know? And so I think there is a real, there is a real humility that comes from like the world just keeps going and like, you're not that significant, you know? And I think that's good. So I, I definitely think that it's, it's a plus to start, especially with our kids. You know, when I sit down with millennials and 
I do a lot of corporate speaking now. So, you know, I'll get invited to these settings where I am the oldest person, which is weird when you're in your 40s. So you sit down with this group of 20s that are like leading companies. Yeah. And they are, they are, they are really worn out. Yeah. And I'm like, if you're that worn out at 28, yeah. what is your life going to look like at 48? Yeah. Um, and, you know, and I, when we have this conversation with them, it's a lot of times they're not necessarily believers. Mm. And so I'm still trying to help them grasp the concept of Sabbath, because I think it's important for everybody yeah, right. to kind of grasp that concept. You know, and that's the, that's the thing. I think for so many people, their identity is so wrapped up yeah. in the work that they don't want to do that deeper work that's needed to actually release it, to, to let well, go of it long enough to get to a point right. of rest. Well, that's scary, right? I mean, it is doing that, <laughs> doing that soul work. Yeah. 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 Uh, okay. So I, uh, let's talk about then the seven, seven types of rest. Cause I think this concept is, is fascinating. And I think it's, it's really important aspect to this whole thing. Yeah. The, well, I'll, I'll name the seven. That might be the easiest way to start. Sure. The first three that I think most people are most familiar with are the physical, mental, and spiritual. You know, those are kind of, uh, I guess, self-explanatory, but I'll go over each one. Sure. And then the other four are the emotional, sensory, social, and creative. Mm. And so, you know, the physical part of rest, you know, that's the sleeping and the napping. That's the passive part of physical rest. But I think we sometimes forget about the active part of physical rest, because that's where you, you know, when you're doing like a leisure walk, you know, you're not trying to like just click off your Fitbit, yeah, you know, numbers, right. but you're just kind of keeping the blood circulating. You're getting the lymphatics moving. Hmm. Physical rest also includes like when you're sitting at a desk all day. And you're mindful of, you know, moving your body um, so that you're not getting stiff and tight, that you're doing kind of the shoulder shrugs and massage, self-massage and those kind of things. Yeah. It's just really making sure the body stays fluid. Hmm. And then mental rest has to do with giving your head that uh, opportunity to clear itself. I think for so many people, we have a tendency to to automatically kind of list things in our head and to kind of hold information. Yeah. We, we don't automatically release it. You can, you know, if you have a problem with this, if you lay down at night to go to sleep and, you know, all of a sudden you're thinking of everything you need to do the next day and you're making these mental lists. And uh, the flip side of that is if you're thinking about conversations you had earlier that day yeah. and you're playing that woulda, coulda, shoulda, you know, that you wish you'd said, yeah. <laughs> you're reliving all of these conversations, yeah. you know, that's when you know you're having some mental unrest because your head is just going around this these thought processes and it's not getting to a quiet place. Yeah. And so for many people, an easy way of doing that is just what we call brain dumping or, you know, writing out down whatever that thought is so that you give your mind pres uh, permission to let go of the thought sure. so that you can then kind of clear it out and move on to whatever else. Mm. Um, spiritual rest. Um, I, I identify that as really replacing a religious mindset with a relationship mindset. Mm. And so, you know, it's, there's a lot to be learned in the Bible and then there's a lot to be experienced by reading yes, the Bible, yes, amen. because sometimes I'm yeah. reading the Bible because almost like a textbook, you know, the manual for a living, like a textbook. Yeah. And there's other times I'm reading the Bible because I want to know who he is. Right. 
And so you read those different. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when yeah. you're looking at it, it's not the same. It's the same book, but you're not going at it the same way. And so I think it's important for people to, to always be mindful of that, that in the learning of the word, that they don't forget to experience mm. the word. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's as a relationship. Um, and then the emotional part of rest, um, the last four are the ones that really get tricky for most people that they haven't thought about. Emotional rest is the rest of what I say, taking your mask off. So many of us in our professions, we automatically have to be inauthentic just in the professionalism mm -hmm. of our particular role. Interesting. And so, you know, and sometimes that goes against your normal personality. Uh, for example, you know, when I'm in the ICU with the family, you know, my normal personality is someone who's like playing jokes on people and I'm always laughing and, you know, saying something silly yeah. and off the wall. And so you know, nobody wants to hear that in the ICU when your family's like, you know, yeah. trying to live. Yeah. So I'm having to kind of keep all of that together and not even, you know, allow my normal personality to come out because I got to go in serious mode. Mm -hmm. you know? yeah. And so there's a there's a stress that's associated with kind of having to kind of not be yourself. Mm. And so the thing is, and people who tend to have very um, high ranking roles, CEOs, owners, you know, things like that, they have a tendency to take that persona that they have at work home with them. <laughs> and so they never let their guard down and they keep under that level of kind of chronic, um, just unnecessary emotional stress. Mm. And, um, and so that's the type of rest that has to be learned to kind of be authentic, to let your no's be no's and your yeses to be yeses, yeah. to let go of some of the people pleasing tendencies that some, some of us have mm. where we're saying yes to things that we know we don't want to do, but we're saying it for all the wrong reasons, just of kind of a retraining of just being very authentic. Mm. Um, social rest has to do with recognizing how people pull from you. Yeah. You know, some people are pulling from you negatively and some people are pulling or pouring into you. And so it doesn't mean that the people that are pulling from you are negative people. Right. Right. It just right. means that that's how that dynamics of that particular relationship. Yeah. Are. Every patient that walks in my office is pulling from me. Mm. You know, that's why they came. Right. <laughs> they need something. <laughs> right. Some of them also pour back, you know, as they're there. But that's that's kind of a bonus. Yeah. That's not expected. That's a bonus if that happens. And so for many parents, your kids are pulling from you. I mean, that's that's just how it works. Yeah, <laughs> you know, right. they need things from you. So it's important to recognize that because what happens with many adults is we spend all of our time with the people that need us. And we we don't keep building up those adult relationships that pour back into us. Mm. So we tell the friend that wants to go take us out for a coffee or golf or a run or whatever I don't really have time. And then we go help the friend who needs something. Yes, help the friend who needs something, but it's just as important for your own yeah. social and emotional health to spend time with the person who just wants to be around you because they love being around you. You have to give yourself permission to do that, right? Because it's like, no, I got to take care of me or else I can't do any of that other stuff. Yeah, you do. And, and so a lot of times people get feel guilty about yeah. that. And so I think that's one of the things is when you recognize that, you know, rest is really about being able to be at your highest capacity. Mm -hmm. When you are well rested, you're actually able to give your best in whatever area it is right. that you're trying to, whether that's business or personal, uh, you know, whatever it is, 
you can't be your best if you're trying to pour out from your emptiness. Yeah, totally. Totally. It's great. I love that. And then the last two sensory, we kind of touched on a little bit with the, um, you know, the just being mindful of what kind of atmosphere that you're in, whether you're sitting at a desk with bright lights. I think one of my favorite ones is just kind of thinking about, um, you know, if you're at your computer to make sure that at a certain time of day, all of them now, I think, can dim your computer screen a little bit after you get past a certain time. Just some very subtle things that you can automatically program in to kind of help you remember to to wind down since, you know, your senses and just cut off the radio. Sometimes radio and TVs that are playing and no one's watching. That's just unnecessary sensory, uh, sensory. And interesting. I love that. Yeah. Good. I've never I had never thought about that kind of rest, to be honest with you. So I think that's uh, that's that's good stuff. And then creative rest is the last one. Um, for most people, create they can they can kind of identify with creative rest most if they have had that experience where they've been in nature, whether it's the beach or mountains or whatever, where you just you can, you just know you feel better in those surroundings. And creative rest is allowing beauty to awaken something inside of mm. you. That awe and wonder, that kind of childlike sense of wow, you know, that you experience. And so that can be from creative beauty, you know, things like artwork and sculpture and going to museums or from natural beauty. Um, That's why I love when, you know, just something as simple as if you're, you know, working at your desk and you're feeling kind of down and you're in a location where you can go outside maybe just for like 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. You get your muscles loosened up a little bit. You're getting outside of your normal senses that, you know, where you're sitting at, whether that's your computer or whatever. And you're allowing yourself to have a little bit of a, a nature input. You know, there's ways to get multiple types of these rest, you know, in one activity mm-hmm. and just being mindful, mindful of where you're being depleted in your day and what restores you. Yeah, that's good. I love that. It's a, it's always amazing to me because God like built this into us. Like we yearn to be in creation, which he called good from the beginning. Like that's just like something we need. And yet we like run into like fluorescent lights and like stay there all day. You know, it's just amazing to me. Yeah. It's definitely not healthy. (laughs) You know, most, most of our environments right now are just not, not conducive to, to feeling your best. We, we are, we've gotten to a point where we just are used to it. You know, it's our normal day to day, but it's, it's not conducive to us really being our best. And so a lot of people, you know, are finding that, you know, careers that they that they thought they would love, they're not enjoying. And it's not necessarily the career. It's just how the career is making them feel. So, you know, if there's anything you can do to kind of get yourself restored back to a place of wholeness, then, it's you know, you're able to do whatever that job is more effectively. What is the and this is like way out of left field. What is the. Uh, most prevalent excuse you get from people for not resting? (laughs) For not resting. I think probably the the number one thing I hear people say is I don't have time. Mm. I don't have time to rest. I'll rest when I die. I don't know (laughs) how many times I've heard people say that to me. And I'm like, well, you might get this. Well, exactly. (laughs) That's the ironic part. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, because the thing is not resting, you know, I talk about, you know, in the book, I talk about it more kind of from just the conceptual, um, just because no one wants to read all of the, the geeky stuff that I would put in there. So, <laughs> but I mean, you know, from a physician standpoint, I mean, I would love to talk about 
okay, how it drops your, your ability to your reflexes. Mm. So you have more car accidents, you have more falls, you know, talk about how it jumps your blood pressure up, right. how it increases your, your um, inflammatory response in your body, which then leads to strokes and heart attacks. I mean, I would bore people to death with all the reasons why they should be well, you resting. Know, yeah. But <laughs> those are some pretty good reasons, though. I feel like you know, yeah. I mean, that's that's the actual medical science behind detoxifying the body mm. is unbelievable. Wow. You know, now with the, I mean, honestly, you just turn on the news, you hear so many people who say that they've had heart attacks. Right. I mean, it's like an epidemic almost when you just like, just hear people saying that. And I mean, there's just such a huge number of people who are just chronically toxic. Mm. Their body is just in a chronic state of toxicity because it never gets to wind down. Wow. And so we're trying to wind it down with pills. You know, we, we give you a sleeping pill to help you go to sleep. Then we give you a blood pressure pill to help wind your blood pressure down, you know, and, and so we're, we're giving you aspirin to get your inflammatory response down. So we're throwing all this stuff at people and we're refusing to just be straight with them and say, you've got to change your life. Yeah. <laughs> you can't keep, you can't keep doing this, you know, burning it at both ends and expecting not to burn out. Yeah. That's good. That is such a like needed message. Thank you for doing that work. I think it's such good stuff. So uh, I could literally sit here and talk to you all night, uh, but uh, I don't think either of our spouses would be too happy with that. So uh, are you okay jumping into the, uh, the last two questions? Sure. Okay. So my first question is, what is the strangest job that you have ever had? Strangest job I have ever had um, was actually when I was a research assistant. I've done, I've been a research assistant at least two different occasions. One was in high school, actually. I did it as a summer job. And the second time was in medical school. And on both times, I ended up doing surgery on animals related to the heart muscle. It it was one of those really bizarre things. Like I said, I'm a really nerdy, geeky science kind of biology person. So, and that was really obvious because I was 16. I mean, it was one, I was 16 working at a college doing this and I was the youngest person there, but I was so nerdy, geeky that I fit right in. So, but it was the strangest job because the one of them, uh, we were, the surgeries were done in this really, you know, awesome setup inside of this university but outside of it were like pig stalls because we were doing it on pigs because pig hearts and dog hearts are the ones that have the closest to what we need for the to look at how it affects humans Uh, and so you're sitting there praying that nothing happens to the animal and then i'm out there feeding them and then i got them on the table it was just one of those (laughs) situations where it's like what am i doing That's bizarre, especially at 16. I mean, that's a, that's, it was, it was wild. It was, it was a great, it was a, let me, it probably got me in medical school. Probably Sure. Sure. (laughs) Having that on, they were like, well, this, this girl, this girl's (laughs) really, really. She's serious. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. Okay. So then my final question is what is one piece of advice you would give to somebody looking to bring God's kingdom more into their work? Oh, I love that question. I would say, take the limits off. Hmm. Because, I mean, that's what it was for me. I had put so many limitations on what it should look like. And and that's nothing like what it ended up being. Yeah. You know, once you take those limits off of, of your preconceived notions of how God can infiltrate whatever area that you're working in, 
he's able to infiltrate at all mm. because really he's in it all. Yeah. And so whenever we start segmenting him out, we start limiting just his ability to move. I've just seen so much more fruit, you know, and just saying, God, my medical practice is yours. I remember one of the the things that we ended up doing, you know, once I've kind of got that mindset, I actually are, we had all the believers in our office. We set up a prayer room in the office. Now this is a 10 physician medical practice. (laughs) So, and all of them are not believers, but they, when I asked them if that, if it was okay, if I prayed throughout the building and set up a prayer room for our patients and staff who wanted to pray whenever they came into the office, mm. not a single one of them said no. Because oh. even if they didn't, even if they didn't fully agree with me, they could tell that something had changed. Because just putting out the daily breads in the office, it's like we invited heaven into our atmosphere, yeah. even if everybody wasn't in one accord. Yeah. And you could tell something was different. And so it, it was great to just invite God in and say, you know, this is your practice. Every person that walks in, we want to serve them with the best of our ability, you know, and and just allow him to use us. Wow. I love that. That's such great advice and personal experience. I, uh, I love it. So thanks so much for making time for me and talking rest and, and all the stuff. I really do appreciate it. Oh, well, thank you. I had a great time. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Sandra, maybe just listening to your own uh, rest uh, and maybe the places where you aren't rested in in your life. And uh, yeah, I'd love to hear about that if this was something that came out of this episode for you. You discovered rest in some some new way. So hit me up on social media. Let me know that. I'd love to hear all about it. Uh, I just uh, would ask uh, for any of you listening to this episode, if you could just leave me a rating and review on iTunes or whatever podcast app you uh, you use that would be super helpful i would greatly appreciate it uh it just helps to get the word out about the podcast and uh tell people what we got going on here at uh, theology of hustle so uh, do all that for me and until next time get out there and hustle